0: and welcome to episode 44 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. This is your host, Trevor Sheridan of AppAdvice.com, and joining me as usual is my co-host, Brent Nolan of AppAdvice.net. Join us this week as we make friends with animals inside the faraway world of our iOS devices. How are you doing today, Brett?
1: I'm doing pretty good. It was a, a nice holiday weekend, and uh, then followed up by some mobile gaming and console gaming and board gaming, all kinds of gaming this weekend.
0: Yeah, and so... The big news probably is that we got through the Black Friday, Cyber Monday period, and hopefully you either sat on the sidelines or got what you want at a nice discount. But Apple, they were making some money, and reportedly they sold 6 million iPhone Xs just in the Black per- Black Friday time period.
1: Yeah, that's pretty crazy. That's, that's like a, a weekend they sold, and and the the news was that a lot of people were going for that two fifty six. So they were spending the money. They they weren't even just like going for the deal and trying to get a, a less expensive one just to save money. They were going all out. Let's go and big.
0: Yeah, and there was no sales or anything on the iPhone X. So I don't understand the incentive to if you're going to make that big of a purchase to do it during Black Friday, but. Teach their own.
1: Yeah, there was one store that actually was—I forget which store it was—but one of them actually was giving you uh, the. It was like uh, a gift card. The ten was included in that. Uh, I don't remember which of the stores. It was either Walmart or Best Buy. Best Buy gave you two hundred dollars back on a phone. It might have been Walmart that was giving you a gift card, and the ten was included in that sale.
0: Hmm. I just saw the commercials all weekend of buy one iPhone 8, get another one for free. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then Apple, the AirPods were also one of the top selling items of the Black Friday period. So Apple wasn't short on making money when everyone else was spending money. Yeah, yeah.
1: I know some people that actually uh, bought some AirPods for their kids for for Christmas, and I think they were on sale for maybe $10 off at Best Buy. I mean, not a huge discount, but people have, for a while, have not been able to get them. They're back-ordered, so finally they're pretty much in stock and on sale, so why not pick them up?
0: Yep. And so it wasn't all good news for Apple, as there was a couple bugs reported. The first is in macOS High Sierra, which allows root access by simply typing the username root, so you don't even need a password. you leave the password field empty and you have full admin access to the computer.
1: yeah, that seems like kind of a, a big bug <laughs> <laughs> they didn't they didn't notice it, it sounds like uh, you the person would need to have direct access to your computer and you need to possibly have to have multiple accounts on your computer. In or and then so then when they log in they just use that username and then click unlock twice and then they're in so I I guess maybe like a school library kind of place or or any library where they might have MacBooks out it's probably a risk but uh, your own personal computer probably less likely to be a problem
0: right and so that's worth keeping note of just. In case And luckily, it's just it has to be local direct access rather than over the Internet. But also iOS eleven's having another bug. So there was the bug where instead of I, it made a question mark signal. And so Apple fixed that. But now it and is is corrected respectively to capital I period T to or Apple or I period S. So two different capitals. So that's fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, especially if you're someone who tends to type anything on your iPhone, your odds are you're gonna use the word it and is. I haven't noticed this. I did upgrade my my device to eleven two and so I didn't I, I haven't run or eleven one two, I haven't run into that, but uh I don't know, I guess it's out there. I never ran into that previous uh autocorrect bug that people were running into either.
0: It's because it's spread like a virus. Someone has to send you a message with the bug for your autocorrect to recognize it and then use it.
1: Oh, is that what it is?
0: Yeah. I only got the A question mark symbol. I haven't got this new one yet. So if you have that bug, don't be texting me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that's pretty much the Apple news for the week. So that means we can get into some apps. And the first app is rather interesting. It's Turo... And it's more than just a simple app. It's actually like a brand new service. So it's reminiscent of Airbnb, but for renting a car. So if you ever thought that, oh, man, it's super cool that I can just stay in some regular house in a particular location, now you can rent a particular car that is owned by somebody else rather than going to Enterprise or Hertz or Budget or any of those rental car services. You can rent directly from someone or you can rent out your own car. And I love the description of this app where it's like, Say you need a SUV or a truck for hauling kids or towing various items, or you need that fancy car when you're going to visit your in-laws. Yeah, that's that's the use case where I'm (laughs) going to be renting someone's fancy like Maserati or something.
1: Yeah, so there are services that have been around for a while where you can join, like, these clubs, and then you're allowed to, like, borrow these super nice, fancy luxury cars. I don't know how much those services cost. I never, I've never done it. But I thought this was really interesting. I, I think it would work best in a in a city environment where maybe you don't always need your car or you're someone who doesn't own a car and you just temporarily need to get a car. And maybe like those little small zip cars, aren't going to do it for you. You want that SUV to, to lug some stuff back. So this seems like a, a neat way to do it rather than go into a rental place. Why not just borrow basically essentially borrow a car from someone, but you're paying for it. But you could probably get it at a much cheaper rate doing it this way than going to just rent a car for a single day from from uh, Rent-A-Car or Enterprise or any of those other services.
0: Yeah. So here in the LA area, there's a lot of different choices just because there's so many people with cars. And the prices aren't too bad. Like You can get a Fiat 500 a 2017 for $19 a day, or if you're feeling spicy, you can get a Maserati for $98 a day, a Tesla Model S for $157. They even have a 1966 Ford Shelby Cobra for $254 a day. So if you wanted to be super fancy, there's all kinds of choices. Or there's also the, you know, regular cheap prices as well.
1: Right, and I was looking, and some of these have, like, If you're renting for two weeks, they'll give you a discount, or maybe a week they give you a discount. And some of them will even deliver the car right to you as well. And if you're wondering, like, who would ever loan out their car to some random Joe on the street? And, yeah, he's getting paid for it, but what about insurance? Well, they've got you covered. So, apparently, you are covered by, uh, like, a million-dollar liability policy uh, by Liberty Mutual Insurance, to protect your interests, it should someone destroy your car or get hurt in your car or anything happen, you are covered. It does affect – I. it sounds like – I didn't sign up, but it sounds like the amount of money you're going to get for renting your car is based on how much of a policy you decide to to go with. So there must be different levels of protection you can choose from, and you'll earn somewhere between 65% and 80 85% of the price that the person paid for the trip based on what level of protection you chose.
0: Right. That insurance policy portion is probably the most important. So that way that, because I think I would be, mo- I wouldn't be hesitant going and driving somebody else's car and smashing it up, but I would be more hesitant of some random person coming and smashing up my own car.
1: Right. Or, or damaging. Maybe they're not, totally smashing it but they're damaging it somehow but you don't necessarily know like all of a sudden they scratch the thing like it's not like a major accident but something that your nice looking car is now damaged in some way but yeah i'm i have my own insurance so i don't care if i if i go rent a car i I always refuse their insurance i have my own so if something happens i'm gonna i'm covered but yeah, you don't want to give out your car. I, and then as far as like pricing goes for, if you want to set the pricing for how much you want people to borrow your car for, you can either set that yourself. So you can set a daily rate and you can do whatever you want. The thing I thought was interesting was they have a whole algorithm they use where you can have the thing set the price dynamically and it'll take your car's price market value the location of where you are the time of year and it uses some other kind of data sets and then it just it keeps on adjusting your daily price in order to maximize both your income and to make your listing competitive with the other listings in your area so you never you don't even have to think about how much you want to charge it's going to figure it out for you or if you know like there's no way i'm letting anyone drive this car unless i get a 100 bucks a day then you can go set it for a hundred. But I thought that was kind of neat how they have their all these algorithms figured out to try to get you the best possible rate. And you can even go on their little calculator and see if I rent out my car X number of days in the year, this is how much I'll earn within the year. So it, there's ways to see if it's worthwhile if you want if you're even considering doing this.
0: Right. So I think the most kind of questionable areas renting out your own car rather than renting somebody's car but that's where they go into the most deal detail with the 65 to 85 percent earnings of the trip price the protection of up to a million dollars and all those different algorithms to make sure you have the best pricing based on location and type of car and all that stuff so turos put in a lot of kind of back-end work to let people start using their service
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a fairly new service, but it's definitely an interesting market. I'm I'm curious to see if we start to see other competitors in this area too.
0: Yep, and so that's Turo. It's free, and I think it's iPhone only.
1: Yeah, it was iPhone only.
0: Yep, and so that means it's time for some games. So we'll start off with the big animal in the room, the big elephant in the room, and that's Animal Crossing Pocket Camp. So Nintendo picked the one of the busiest weekends of the App Store calendar year, the holiday, the Thanksgiving holiday weekend, to release their mobile version of Animal Crossing. So the game first launched back for the GameCube, and since then it's come out on the Wii and the various different 3DS and all that good stuff. And so Pocket Camp takes the core idea where it's essentially a simulation game where you interact with an environment of essentially personified or animorphed uh, animals that you get to interact with you they give you little tasks to do so you can go and give them fish or bugs or whatever and then you earn coins so then you can decorate your pad and build it all up and then you always have like a constant flow of new animals coming into town that you can meet and interact with and so that game is present available on ios but it's set where instead of a town where you have a house you actually have essentially a tent and you have a little camping area that you can invite other animals over to and so it's the same core idea it might not be as complex there's not as an expansive area there's not as many things as you can you can do but that it's pretty much animal crossing available on your iOS device yeah so animal crossing is a game that i have heard of and heard people
1: talking of for years, and I've never actually played it. I've never actually owned it on any Nintendo system I had. It was something I I just heard a lot of people were all excited about and loved it, and spent hours and hours playing. And I had never ever experienced it until now. And it's interesting. I don't see the the rabid like addiction that people have to this game. I. F- It's kind of interesting to go in. There's plenty of stuff to do. There's always new tasks to go. You can go visit other people's camps. But for me, it just didn't hold that magical appeal that people were getting all excited when they heard it was coming to iOS. I was more just, it's coming to iOS, so finally I'll get to check this thing out, was more my thought. And I don't know. I I don't really get
0: it but it is somewhat enjoyable so as an animal crossing fan that has played a bunch of it the ios version isn't as appealing as the console version mainly because the characters aren't as fleshed out and the customization options aren't fully baked in so on the console version the the characters have a bunch of different possible things they can say there's very unique personality profiles attached to each of these animals and they always have something fresh to say it's like you actually have a vibrant little village that you have all these characters you know their names you kind of have an expectation of how they're going to respond on the ios version the first couple days of the game no matter who you talk to they're giving you tutorial tips on how to play the game so that's annoying and then once you get through that There's not a verbose language and personality infrastructure. The characters only say so many things. So they didn't flesh out that portion of the game. And then also on the console, you can have your house and then you go visit somebody else's house and they look completely different. There's so many different choices you can make in terms of decor and all the different collectibles and everything you can flesh out with your... House, but on iOS, your camp, you visit somebody else's camp, there's not that much variation. You see, the same characters are already invited and sitting around. There's only so many things you can put into place, and there's not that very interesting diversion, which really makes Animal Crossing appealing when you go visit other places to get different ideas. Because on iOS, you're not getting that many different ideas because there's not many forking pathways in terms of customizing your area so when it waters down the two most compelling parts of animal crossing it's not going to be nearly as a compelling game
1: right right it's more of like a slightly watered down experience because they can't really give you that full console experience at the beginning i think it gave me a choice of like five different stereotypes like if you were sporty or yeah, there's if you four were sporty cool nature or, or cute okay yeah and i i think i chose nature i wanted that that soccer field was sporty but i didn't really like the dude that had the the microphone or whatever he had with him so i went with the the nature one i think and then i think you did too because i went to yours and it looked almost identical to mine so yeah. i know exactly
0: what you mean yeah And so that kind of gets annoying because even if you pick the different ones, say you picked cute, you can unlock all the accessories from nature even if you pick cute and then just throw them all into your uh, camp. And so there's only the four different themes and essentially those themes can really diverge relatively quickly. And then that's kind of the downside, but the actual game that is included, regardless if you've ever played Animal Crossing before does, like you said, give you a lot to do. Each time you launch up the game, you have different characters, each in kind of different locations, and they'll say, oh, they want three different kinds of fish, or three different kinds of fruit. So then, you go to the ocean to get particular fish, you go up to the river to get particular fish, you go over to trees to get particular fruit, you can also catch bugs, and so you have all those core elements so then you collect them and you give them to the different animals and that helps you upgrade your friendship and then that's gonna help you earn currency so then you can go to the marketplace and get new items or get new clothes and then each character kind of the ultimate friendship goal is to invite them to your campsite and to do that you need to craft five particular items they want like say they it's a frog and he wants all, he wants the green desk, the green chair, the green couch, the green bed. So you have to craft all those green items, put them into your place, and then he'll come over and now he'll be essentially a resident at your little camp area. So you want to do that with as many kind of animal friends as possible. So you always have that constant cycle of something to do, new friends to invite, and to continue to build up your friendship with these different animals.
1: Right, yeah. It's going to be the type of game where either you're going to dive right in and you're going to want to keep coming back and completing these tasks to collect all the different animals, have them come and visit your campsite, or it's going to be more like my experience where I kind of just forgot about the game. I went in, played a little bit, and then wasn't compelled to go back that much and then i'm like oh yeah we're gonna talk about the game maybe i should go back in and play a little more and i completely forgot it's even on my device like it i don't know i i'm not one for these grindy type of games where you have these tasks you have to go back and complete and it just feels like work to me it doesn't feel like something that's all that entertaining to me but I can see where the appeal for others would be.
0: Yeah, the most surprising aspect is that I thought it would be grindier. I thought it would, since it's on the console, you know, it's a single purchase price. It's relatively expensive. Here, it's a completely free download supported by microtransactions. So I thought, oh, they're going to grind everything out. So it takes forever to do anything. There's going to be a particular currency you can't even earn. So I was pleasantly surprised that To find, I don't know how Nintendo is going to make money from this game because they are free flowing with the bells, which are the main kind of currency, as well as the leafs, which are the harder currency. But I have 260 of them, and it usually costs like five to get all the steel I need to build something. So they come in pretty readily, and they also, there's timers when you craft something, but a lot of the early stuff takes three minutes, so that's no big deal. But even the ones that take five hours or six hours, you can open up multiple crafting spots so the shorter time ones don't have to be interrupted by waiting on longer time ones. You can speed anything up with the bills, but you don't really need to because you can always be doing something in the meantime. I was really surprised just how much you can play the game without even, not just not spending money, but without even thinking about spending money.
1: Yeah, I was surprised by that. I thought for sure those leaf tickets were going to be much harder to get. I thought, and I'm wondering if it's still in a kind of a state of flux and we're going to see that kind of taper off a bit and they're going to have to find a way to make money and the, the economy is going to adjust in the game for them to start making money. And in which case people will either embrace that or they'll just move on. And, but Nintendo is going to have to do something because they can't just, support this game and forever and ever for free.
0: Right. So that is Animal Crossing Pocket Camp. It's free. It's universal. And if you have never played Animal Crossing at all, give it a try to see what's included. And part of me feels like Nintendo's advertising you to kind of try this version out and then step up to the complete version on the respective console.
1: Yeah, 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 I agree so next up we have it's a sequel to a point-and-click adventure game uh that came out four years ago on ios and it's called the inner world 2 uh the last wind monk and i'm gonna try to give you a, a brief intro without ruining the events of the first game just in case you decide to want to play it uh this one takes place three years after the conclusion of the first game and we return to the world of esposia and we have the three main characters are back, which is Robert, and he's this flute nose. So there's this, this race of people that have these noses that are musical instruments. And uh, we have Robert, and then we have a thief named Laura, and we have his pigeon named Peck. And you get to, throughout the game, you get to swap between the different characters. And so Peck, the flying pigeon, he can go up and grab things that are high and things that Robert can't necessarily reach. And so you'll have to constantly switch him back and forth between Robert and Peck in order to solve the puzzles and drive the story forward. I don't want to give too much away because I don't, again, I don't want to ruin the the story of the first one because i believe it was just recently free as well so hopefully you picked it up while it was free but this is a really well done highly polished point and click adventure with fantastic voiceovers and a interesting puzzles that are tough where you have to go and collect items combine items uh, and they do give you kind of like minor hints as you're looking around and tapping on things, and you have this little magnifying glass so you can look at items. And usually they kind of use wordplay to give you kind of hints of what you might need to do with that item, but don't. They're not so overt that they definitely tell you exactly what you need to do. But it's nice that they kind of, without using going to the actual. Hint system, you can kind of get a kind of an idea of what maybe you need to do next. But if if you like want a really well done point and click adventure, definitely play the first in the series and then look for this one. Now, uh, Trevor, I don't think you do. You never played the first one, right?
0: Right, I never played the first one, so I was a little bit worried. Like, oh, do I want to play the first one before trying the second one? But the description clearly states that you don't need to play the preceding chapter first. And the first couple minutes of the game is about essentially getting you up to speed with a cut scene to kind of set the scene and set the world. And that does a good job to make this really a standalone game because that intro, it's kind of like a movie would give you that narration at the start of the film It can still be a standalone game and you're fully invested and introduced to the world and then that, that allows you to just enjoy the point-and-click adventure game, which is really well done. Because there's a bunch on iOS. Some are ports. Some are brand-new editions. And this game just... A lot of these games kind of get overwhelmed either with trying to figure out the UI or trying to not make it so obvious of the puzzles and what you have to tap on. And this game seems to find a relatively good balance. So it's not super obvious what to do, but it's not overly complex and you're not lost in all kinds of different menus everything seems clearly laid out and then you can just focus on the puzzles at hand and they're balanced relatively well it's not going to be the most challenging point-and-click adventure game you come across but it is challenging enough to keep you compelled to wanting to keep play playing through the story because like you said there's really ornate production values with the voice acting the artwork and the way it's combined together to just immerse you in this pretty crazy and eccentric world of the inner world too.
1: Yeah, and the the interface is really well done. So the way they do that is you can tap and hold on the screen, and you can see all the various touch points, which is always nice. Because normally, if you're kind of lost on a on a PC, you would just drag the mouse. Around. Around and find those points. So it gives you that option of tapping and holding on the screen to see where where you can tap and interact with. It doesn't tell you what those are. And then the really unique thing it does, which I hadn't seen in it, I, they did in the original, but I haven't seen in any other games since is when you go to talk to someone, you get these little circles, and they're the talking points of what you might want to talk to them about. So it might be a character, it might be an object, but you see this little tiny little image of that's the thing I want to talk to them about. And you can tap on that, and then they'll start to talk to you about that thing, person, item, whatever it is. Then if you're done talking about that, it'll gray out. If they have more to say about that particular thing, you can tap it again and then you'll continue the conversation about that particular thing. And you know when you've gone through all of their their possible talking points, when all those little little thumbnail images are grayed out. So it's, an, it's a different way. Like normally you have like text trees and you're choosing responses, where this is, it kind of automatically drives the narrative. You don't choose like your responses, but you get to choose the topic that you want to look at, which it's a different approach, and I think it's kind of a, a refreshing approach compared to the usual, let's dive down all these response trees and keep going back and back and back.
0: Right, that's another appealing factor of this game. And really, that's kind of the overall takeaways. just they seem to think of ways to improve the... Standard formula while still maintaining what makes point-and-click adventure games good, but just cleaning it up and making it less obtrusive to get into the story, and so that way you'll want to play through the entire thing. Yep, agreed. And so that's the Inner World Two, and it's four ninety-nine. It's Universal, and then there's Faraway Two, which is another sequel where you didn't need to play the original to enjoy the sequel. But you can because this game's free and the original's free. And so, at first glance, the game is a lot like The Witness that we talked about a few weeks back. Where you have that 3D puzzle adventure game where you're going to interact and encounter simple kind of puzzle sequences. And that's going to unlock the path forward in the overarching structure of the game. And so, Far Away 2 is set within a jungle. The first game was set within sand dunes and desert theme. So we transition over and the main difference is that The Witness is an open world adventure where you can kind of just stumble around and explore the area and not necessarily go in a specific order. Far Away 2 is broken down into specific levels where you'll have level 1 and then level 2. And within each level you have a specific item you need to find to unlock the portal and there's going to be a very specific structure. So you're going to essentially tap on an object to move forward and then the screen is kind of fixed on that puzzle sequence. Sometimes you can swipe left and right to change your perspective but you're always kind of moving on rails in specific chunks within a level so you can focus on this little puzzle sequence and then move her over to this puzzle sequence and all that's going to combine to create the overarching path forward through a given level.
1: You know, while this was more restrictive than The Witness, I think it works far better on mobile than The Witness did, just because it is chunked to be these smaller little puzzles where you can hop in and you can sit there and play. If you want to play more, you play more puzzles, where I think it was almost overwhelming with The Witness because it was so big that – We talked about this when we talked about the game, where you have this fear of, like, did I do everything I needed to do? And I just don't think that works as well on mobile as this style, where it is so kind of selled off, and you know that it's this one little small puzzle. Some of them are are fairly—they take a a fair amount of work to get through, but it's still a chunked-off let's finish this puzzle and we know we're done this one and then move on to the next one. And I kind of just, I don't know. I just, I like that with, especially if I'm playing on a phone versus that never quite knowing, am I finished or is there more that I'm missing? so I, I, it's nowhere near as graphic, graphic fidelity as the witness was, but it's a nice little freebie of a compelling little puzzle game.
0: Yeah, I felt exactly the same way. The Witness, I enjoyed it, but I didn't want to get back into it without having like a big chunk of time set aside to like play in it and get lost. And then you do always have that kind of feeling, did I get everything, or am I jumping from super easy to super hard? You know, there's not that usual progression. So, essentially, Far Away 2 cuts up The Witness into digestible bite-sized packages, but then It seems like even the core puzzles are a little bit more complex than The Witness. The Witness had a lot of repetition in the puzzles. So it just kind of lets you get into more variety and puzzle changes because you're going from specific puzzle to specific puzzle in a very distinct order. And I just found myself wanting to play through it more and just enjoying it more than The Witness, even though it seems at first glance, it's like a watered down version but it's really just a change in thought and structure.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It definitely didn't feel watered down, especially once you start to get into like maybe the fourth or fifth puzzle. And there are like, you have to go over here to get some stuff to then do this puzzle. It It's definitely not a watered down puzzle game. Like these are detailed puzzles you have to solve. It's just because maybe the art is not as fancy. I mean, it just, it throws it, tricks you into thinking that maybe this isn't going to be as challenging but there's definitely a lot of challenge there i never played the original so was that one completely free like every puzzle was free because this one you get to try nine puzzles for free and then you have to pay to unlock the rest of
0: the game i didn't play the original either (laughs) oh you didn't no i i just uh saw people were saying oh this is better than the witness and i was like oh okay sure and i can't <laughs> disagree now at this point
1: yeah yeah and it's it's definitely worth at least checking out like you get to play nine levels for free before they even hit you up for anything so uh it is uh, I quite enjoyed it. I was going through all the puzzles just because you finish one. You just want to play another one because like, oh, what are they going to do next? And there is a story that's unlocking as you go. But to be honest, I really didn't pay attention to that. I just wanted to move on to the, to the next puzzle and keep going through the game.
0: Yep. And so that's far away too. It's free. It's universal. And then there's shadow fight three. So a few weeks ago, Shadow Fight 2 was re-released as some paid version, so it was like a premium version, but it already existed, so we didn't talk about it. So I guess that was a good thing, because now we can set aside time to talk about it now in the third installment, which continues the idea it's that Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter, you know, 2D brawler set an arena that you've probably played before, and Shadow Fight 3 isn't going to go about reinventing the wheel or anything, Instead, they turn it more where it's a story-driven RPG where you go from fight to fight and it's progressing across the lands. It's somehow tied to this ancient war. And every time you win, you can unlock card packs and that's going to help you upgrade your armor, your weapons, and then also add kind of shadow special abilities to your armors and weapons. And so you have the familiar virtual stick on the left side virtual buttons on the right side and you have a punch and a kick that you can change based on what direction you're moving the controller as you're pressing those buttons but then each move that you connect with your opponent is going to earn your shadow power and once it's filled up you can enable that and then you'll have these special moves to do massive damage when you're in that shadow mode and that can really turn the tables in the fight.
1: Yeah, so I never played the original or the second, or at least I don't recall ever playing them. So this was really my first entry into this. And at first, I was kind of bored, to be honest. It was, it felt like any old, like, fighting game where you're 1v1 kind of just button mashing. But then as you start to unlock the new equipment and even more so the special like buffs that you can put on your character that give you new moves. So maybe you now get a move where you can do a left and then or a right and then you hit a punch punch. And that gives you like a super powerful slashing attack with your sword. So you buff the actual weapons that you're going to use this on and certain buffs work on certain things. And I, once I started unlocking those I thought it was a much more compelling game because now it actually changes up the gameplay and gives you a reason to play more to maybe unlock some other new ability or new special combo move. Rather than just constant button matching, now I have a reason to like try to perform certain actions because I know that's a more powerful one based on the equipment that I currently have. And maybe I'll get something down the road that now maybe kicking is more appropriate. And now I, I have to form some combo with kicking. So I think at, at first it was a little slow, but as you get deeper into the game, even ignoring the actual story as it goes, but just unlocking new equipment, it definitely becomes more and more interesting
0: yeah so the only kind of problem i had like you said was the button mashing setup but then they kind of changed that it was actually the production or the playback of the game when i enabled the shadow button the game froze on me for like two seconds and then it comes into play like first I thought, okay, it's doing some slowdown thing, but then it happens like every time where everything on the screen completely freezes. I had to close the app and it open it back up once. And I mean, my iPad Pro, it's not 2017, but it's a 2016. It's not super old. It should be able to handle this game. And I don't know why there was that just complete utter shutdown of the game every time I enabled that shadow mode.
1: See, I didn't have it completely shut down like that. It, there was kind of like a stutter, but I figured that was it going into the shadow mode. Like, I, I thought it was part of the game. I didn't think it, it didn't feel like it was like my my iPad trying to keep up with the game. I just felt like I didn't fully understand the whole shadow mode at first. Like, it didn't seem like, if he went into shadow mode, then he had his special abilities. I could trigger shadow mode too. And then I guess I had my special abilities, but it seemed like when, as soon as we went into shadow mode, I just beat the living crap out of these guys with my normal moves. And they didn't seem to do anything with their actual shadow abilities, except in once I finally, it said you're ready to rechallenge rat or whatever his name was. And I went into the, the first real part of the story mode that guy actually whooped my butt with this (laughs) this shadow power like he's spinning around flipping around blue stuff's going everywhere and he actually seemed to use it but a lot of the early on things i don't know if i was playing ai characters or real people i was a little confused but they didn't seem to actually do anything with
0: it yeah actually that reminded me that Having to do those duels just to, you know, level up and earn your ways till you can fight that main guy in the main story was a little annoying. Because I don't know if they were online opponents or AI opponents, but it reminded me of South Park, whatever (laughs) card game was called, where it's throwing me online when I just want to play the story mode. Or just like a CSR Racing, where it's like you have to level up and upgrade before it's easy enough for you to handle. Well, maybe I want to play it when it's tough. I don't want to be leveled up, super awesome, so it's, oh, it's now easy to fight the big bad guy. It was just a weird setup.
1: Yeah, I I don't know if it was just to force you to grind. And I didn't have to pay any real money for anything, but I could foresee where you're going to get to a point where someone's going to be so difficult they're going to force you to grind like crazy until you are even allowed to go and attempt to fight them.
0: Yeah, it's easier to see that because the game is free and there's going to be IAPs to unlock card packs or upgrade your existing items and you can just see how unless you want to grind for hours in these like duels just to get back to the story mode that you want to play through you're going to have to spend money yeah and so that's shadow fight three it's free and it's universal and i think that's everything for episode 44 yep that's all i got brett thanks for joining me yep it's a pleasure as always to everyone listening we hope you enjoyed and we'll talk to you next time talk to you later